and welcome to another Scots Wayhey podcast. And today I'm joined by award-winning poet, writer, and singer-songwriter Marcus Mack to talk about his latest collection of poetry, Polaris. Hello, Marcus. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm really well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been wanting to get you on for a while. Um, so I guess the first question is, what can you tell us about this collection, Polaris? Well, it's it's quite the labour of love, really. Um, and it was really a lockdown project. It was a it was a collection of poetry that I really, really wanted to write for quite a while, but without the kind of infrastructure in place to support it, perhaps. Um, but Peter Burnett from Leamington Books, we've known each other for a while because we're both members of the Heretics. And he had a conversation with me where he said, I like your approach to what you do um, in terms of just my dedication and I suppose my hustle in a way. <laughs> um, and he said, and you're somebody that I would really like to work with through um, Leamington. And I was I was really flattered by that because the success of the books that have come out so far from that publisher have just been, they've been incredible, particularly yeah. Charlie Roy's Broken Pain. I mean, what a fantastic re response and so richly deserved for all the people involved, you know, not just Charlie, but Peter and Ambrose and Josh. They've worked so hard on all of the publications. So I was just thrilled. And so I sent him this pitch document which he liked, which was quite ambitious um, in a few ways, which we'll come to down the line, I'm sure. Um, and he liked it. And so it became my primary focus through lockdown to just get these, get these poems out of the, out of the gray matter upstairs and onto the page. And that's what, that's what happened. And what are the, the themes which inform it? Um, I think, Primarily, you would describe it as a post-colonial approach to the retelling of the stories of these islands that we call home. And I go for the Atlantic archipelago, but people might also phrase that as the Irish and British Isles. Um, I don't personally go for the British Isles because I feel that it raises the presence of Ireland and its independence and the Isle of Man. Yeah. Um, and I do also include the Channel Islands in that, although they are technically from a geographical, geological point of view, not part of this group of islands, but obviously they are within that sphere of influence. And just kind of, it, it, was, it was kind of serendipitous, but it does kind of tap into this year of Scottish stories as well. Yeah. The way that we keep narratives alive, um, the way that history is passed on intergenerationally and how that can often be quite a, a personal process, a, a subjective process. Um, the stories that, you know, within these great historiographies are maintained and are foregrounded whilst other narratives are left behind. Um, and obviously, in terms of the history of these islands, it's very England-centric. And so I've tried to present a view which includes Gaelic poetry, my self-translations into, into English, but also translations into as many as I could of the indigenous languages of these islands, and also Polari, the um, gay cryptolect. So I think um, not many people, including myself, knew about Polari. So if you could explain a bit more about that, it sounds really interesting. 
Well, I think you probably will have heard it if you listen to Kenneth Williams and and other gay comedians of that era. Um, and it was it was a feature of broadcasts in the fifties and sixties on the BBC. Um, basically, a cryptolect is it's similar to a dialect, but it's um, it's a form of language used in order to conceal meaning. Yeah. So that you, it's a it's a it's a, it's coding of language basically where you might change the sentence structure or you might use different vocabulary in order to hide hide the meaning and it was used primarily by gay men but across the lgbtq community and also in the theater media as well through the um 20th century as a way for people to communicate during times of criminalization so for example um an aspect of it which I alluded to actually in Los Natusha, my uh, second collection, um, it goes back to the First World War and that era when gay men would ask each other, do you speak German? And that was kind of inferred, are you a, a gay man? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, really, it's a really rich palette to play with, although somewhat restricted in that the, the semantics of it are very limited to the, to the gay scene as it were. But yeah, all the bony omis and omi polonis and <laughs> all of that. So it's really interesting for me then to bring that into what's already a multilingual collection. Yeah. And so could you explain a little bit more about the, I know, unfortunately I've only read a couple of uh, poems from the collection, but right. from what I've read about it, there's other multilingual aspects going on and collaboratively as well. Yeah, that's right. So the... The kind of modus operandi, really, of Gallic publishing in terms of poetry since, you know, our famous five, Koinka Kluchok, Sally McLean and, and Derek Thompson and all, and all of those fantastic writers, has been for Gallic poets to publish with self-translation. Um, and there's various views around this, you know, academics such as Wilson McLeod don't necessarily consider this to be a great thing. Some of our poets don't necessarily agree with it either. Christopher White, Niall O'Gallagher have got strong opinions on it. And Niall has a really good quote, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. Mm -hmm. That every poem, every Gallic poem translated into English is a reason not to learn Gallic, according to him. Right. And I can understand that because if a literature is to stand on its own feet, then it can't be hamstrung by translation. But for me, I'm a Yorkshireman. English is my first language. And I just love the interplay between languages. Mm -hmm. When I am writing, I often do the first draft and then start to draft the translation. And I generally find that the two feed into each other. And this bilingualism is always, it's always a conversation. So creatively, I'm, I don't really have a problem with representing the poem through two languages. And I enjoyed that creative process. And I enjoyed the fact that it brings in a wider readership who are interested in Gallic culture, but aren't necessarily fluent or literate. And it's also helpful for students of the language as well. But I wanted to play with this notion as well. And so I invited a lot of the, the poets that we've worked with through the Poets Republic and that I've worked with other projects, in, particularly in Ireland and in Wales and in Cornwall and Scots language poets as well, to translate key pieces within this collection, specifically ones that relate to their countries. Um, and so that their poetry that was inspired by Wales, 
the Ireland, Cornwall could then be given back to those communities in their own language. So, I mean, that sounds like such a, a, a interesting process to go through, because does that then change something about the originals for you as well when you're getting these responses? I think it does. Um, and I think that that's, in, in some ways, it's a bit like a game of consequences where you turn the page over and then somebody else writes the next chapter yeah. of the story, as it were. And obviously, translation, it's a personal process. Um, you know, you can try and be as detached as you want, but there's always going to be elements of yourself because it's your, in, it's your interpretation of that text. But that is absolutely fine because this is based on community. It's, I think community is the backbone of this project really. Um, and it's about how folklore and current affairs and history is passed down and passed between peoples. And it's about those dialogues. So, and I, I'm, I'm really relaxed about working with collaborators. You know, that's part of the joy that that, that somebody else brings their take and their and their and their kind of their version to the work, you know. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, the idea of spoken word being spread because tales and stories don't stop at borders. They they don't recognise those. They go elsewhere and then are um, uh, reconsidered for different audiences and different people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's been various approaches, like, for example, David Blyman, who contributed um, a fantastic translation in Scots Yiddish. He moved, um, he moved away from the original quite significantly, and he did so in order for it to really, really stand authentically within that culture. And I think that that was my understanding of um, Ivorap Glynn, uh, the National Poet of Wales, his approach to that poem was markedly different as well um, in terms of that poem um, connectivity in English it talks about how the original Welsh place names are kind of disregarded in favour of the anglicised versions particularly by tourists and so I was talking about that 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 concept from a Gallic perspective where you know the debate continues to rage um around Gallic signs yeah. uh, don't go on Twitter and look on that god you'll have a headache but um but and so that required a bit of mitigation from me and it required me to draw those parallels whereas for Ivar him translating it into Welsh he doesn't need to explain that because Welsh people know that already so he was able he was able to do something slightly different from what I understand with the Welsh and were there surprising responses? Did you get pieces back that the translation um, you would you would never have come up with yourself? I guess that you probably that's true, but you know, was there something that surprised you? There's been a few surprises, yeah, there have. I kind of don't want to give too much away, no, but one sure. of the one of them that I'm most proud of actually is is one that I did with my friend um, Ricardo Hodal, who is a, who is a multilinguist he speaks he's a native irish speaker he also speaks ulster scots natively because he's from the north of ireland and he was brought up in spain um specifically in barcelona so i should really have said catalonia and he does speak spanish and catalan natively yeah. as well um, and he has a really interesting approach to language and um so with him with one of the poems that i wrote about the battle of the boyne 
um, he translated uh, lines from it into Ulster Scots and I translated lines of it into Irish. And so within that translation, we have both languages in the same poem. Um, and for him, I, I expected that he would want to um, translate both, but he chose to just do the Scots. And I think that he felt that there needed to be some negotiation, a conversation around the two languages appearing together. Oh, wow. So I think that that's going to be an interesting one for Reid. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, now would be a great time, if you don't mind, to uh, read us something from it. Yeah, I'll just bring up the document here. So one of my biggest inspirations is Dwelly's uh, Illustrated Dictionary, which any Gaelic speaker, and I'm sure a lot of aficionados of, of Scottish culture will know all about it. I mean, I obviously have an affinity with Edward Dwelly because he was a he was an Englishman, as am I, um, who, and he contributed something that was, well, I mean, it's just intrinsic to Gallic culture. It was our, you know, our, it stands there as one of the most important volumes we've got with the, with the language. So this is Bredaches, um in memory of Edward Dwelly. Severe smahula chim tarshing at Briahed Ganistaga, Vimia Krunya had chewed murak. Schlicken is Ganyavach, Nam Fap and Mungurstead, Gustrahe Jahokal, Harachrapstade, and Kail. Sonachle, Bulimi Edavide, Gusmavruag Fepe, Estjach the Luaskig and Tuliaken, Strike Hage Malverdig, Nad Buig and Achgad, Gusen Rickme and Grund. Maharakan Skilge and Monarchadan, Lienimi Mafakal and Neonigen. Cremac and long and brisje, Redjak on at a ruskig or oi yervai ua at howl. Sigalic, a gus korak a tadding loinia gofa theatre fandexa, hafian gu, ma smal hua, cor daha, a chin le gop le clitcher, hage and jolted na fachlan nak the gas of warhead na crutcher, nak the rain shedem reclink, lonia and tehekeli. Get na hanyhiriad, shir ta hagasag an frish, na klachan vogach, opa greisha an chirta, an kruan ani an clear chogrin. I'll read that in English lexicon, uh, in memory of Edward Dwelly. In English, as my eye alights on a term unknown to me, I gather flotsam and jetsam, grains of sand and the shells of words that encircle it, to build a bridge beyond the barrier to meaning. In the dictionary, I dive beyond the surface, propel myself below within the roll of the pages. Often I am adrift like a boy without an anchor until I reach the seabed. My fingers spread, scrambling, I fill my pocket with pearls, shipwrecks fragments, a fleck of gold peeled from the face of a vanished bronze. In Gallic, as the finger draws a line invisibly below the text, some appear like stains, black, a surplus of ink from the nib of the quill. They are rejected, the words that did not grow out of the mud of the croft, that did not chime, clinking with the Cayley house glass. Though they are known no longer, to me they are precious, the amethyst amulets, the silken embroidery, the enamel that makes the lattice work so fine. That's lovely, thank you very much. Uh, it's it's made me think about the practicalities and the process of working on this book with your your publisher Lemton. Yeah. Um, 
do you have to have someone who not just spoke Gaelic and English, but then someone else with the other languages as well? How did it work? No, I mean it's it's been just Peter and I that's been involved uh, really with the with the with the typesetting to a certain extent. Um, Charlie has been Charlie Roy's been helping out with promotion as well, and I'm really grateful to her with um, for that. But yeah, it's it's mainly been a bit of a pet project, a labour of love for the two of us. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, facilitated by my experience, although I might not be fluent in all these languages, I've got experience with most of them. Um, and obviously, Peter is from Aberdeenshire. He speaks Doric, so the Scots is no issue for him. And uh, yeah, we've we've worked with poets who have experience of being translators. You find that most writers who work within a minoritized language context have got experience of, of working with translation. And so they have all kind of, they've known already how this needed to go and they've, um, they've all been fantastic in entering into it wholeheartedly, really. Now, uh, before we started talking, you said you've had a busy time recently after lockdown being, you know, putting a hold on all this stuff. Yeah, um, and apart from Polaris, did you see you've got another book as well? Yeah, so there's a bit of a sister volume that's going to come out shortly after with Drunk Muse Press, which is uh, the press connected to the Poets Republic, which I co-edit there with Neil Young and and Hugh McMillan. I'm not really involved um, with Drunk Muse that heavily, although I'm hoping that I will be down the line offering Gallic editorial uh, for some Gallic writers. Um, but they asked me if I would be interested in doing something with them, and I said yes. Um, so my other lockdown project was translating poems by many of the poets that I have come to know and build a relationship with through the magazine, through Northwoods Now, through the Federation, through the Scottish Poetry Library, through all these different connections and to bring them together. So it's, it's I would say it's a, a Scottish heavy cohort um, with some other writers from the North of England, Wales, Ireland, Cornwall as well, a further afield. So it includes a poem by Noelia Diaz-Bethedo, who's from Valencia, and uh, Johan Sandberg-McGuinn, who works in Sami as well as Gaelic. And I've translated all of these poems into Gaelic. And so it started out the plan was really that it would just be a little translation project in order to bring these poets into the Gallic canon for the first time, kind of building on the model of Derek Thompson's Barzach Naranyarpa that came out, ooh, I think in the 70s perhaps, um, where various Gallic poets translated uh, poetries from throughout Europe into Gallic. This has got a more of a Atlantic archipelago kind of vibe to it. It, it isn't it geographically isn't as extensive as that. Um, but still, we felt that the time was right for a bit of translation in, into Gaelic. And if it's turned realistically into a bit of a, an anthology, but one that's extremely personal. All right. OK. Yeah, well, that sounds interesting as well. And that's going to be coming out shortly after Polaris. Yeah, so we're aiming to launch that at the We Gather in the, the poetry festival that's going to be happening in Stonehaven this summer. 
And you've also written uh, drama as well. Is there anything in that field coming up soon, now that theatres are open again? No, I would love to say that there is, but unfortunately the truth of the matter is that Gallic theatre is really under-supported in this country. Um, yeah. And so the avenues the avenues for Gallic playwrights to get the work on stage are really, really slim. And this is no criticism at all intended of Theatre Galliard, our Gallic theatre company, who are absolutely fantastic. Um, and but yeah i've been exploring options with the national theater and with the traverse and and that just going through their application processes but nothing's really stuck so far so i would love i would absolutely love for tudig um to get staged sometime but um it's on the shelf for now and the other thing which i hadn't realized and i've been catching up with over the last week is your a life as a singer songwriter as well yeah yeah, I know I, I, you're laughing, but why are you laughing? I've been listening to it all week and it's good stuff. I know. Thank you very much. I think I've got a bit of a a, a bit of a, a confidence crisis going on. You know, I think I left my music to kind of wallow for a long time as a student um, and as a, a younger adult, mainly because I was quite intimidated. I mean, I... I did music all through my childhood and, and, and teenage years and I sang in choirs and I played the violin in youth orchestras and all that kind of thing. But when I got to Scotland, um, it just became really apparent to me that I wasn't, I wasn't brought up performing at the Maud, mm -hmm. which really does endow young Gaelic speakers with all this musical experience and performance experience. And I just, I just didn't know where I was going to fit within that kind of Gaelic musical sphere. I mean, Gaelic music was part of my upbringing. My parents are massive folkies. Mm -hmm. um, we're from an Irish diaspora background. And, you know, so Irish traditional music was, was massive in our house. But, you know, my mum is a mental Runrig fan. She has been around these islands following Runrig for years. Um, and it was through them, through that music, really, that I got into Gaelic and that, you know, kind of spurred me on to do Celtic studies at university. Um, so I let, as I say, like I left it for a long time, but then honestly, it just started off as an off the cuff conversation with Marianne on Marianne Kennedy yeah. on Facebook Messenger, where I said, do you know what I've always wanted to do? Make a Gaelic pop album. And she said, well, let's do it. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> we have to do it now but it actually it has been the most affirmative process ever I just feel like it's given me my voice back in a lot of ways and um, the response to it's been incredible like um, and I think perhaps it is timely as well you know I think it is time you know looking at the success of acts like Nightworks and Sheehan and yeah Tidelines and, and all of these others who are still very much loyal to the tradition and, and still clearly feel a responsibility to take that forward. I don't necessarily have that responsibility because I'm kind of not, whilst I'm in the community, I'm not of the culture. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of gives me freedom to, 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 take, to add my culture to it or to take the Gaelic into my culture perhaps. And so, yeah, so Spectrum comes out on the 29th of July and Oh, brilliant. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, I've been listening to the, the, the tracks that came out in 2021, I think, and uh, yeah. yeah, really impressed. So I'm looking forward to that, definitely. 
Well, there's previews um, of all the album tracks. We've actually done an, a, an album mix of Fichid Zahok, which was the first single. Um, we've done an album mix of that and kind of brought it in line with the rest of the sounds that are on the album. And I've got my Patreon account, um, which is Marcus Mark. So if folk are into the music and also if they want previews of the poems from Polaris as well, it's just one pound a month. Um, so yeah, do join up and you'll get um, all the previews of, of the projects that are forthcoming. I'm just making a note of that. We'll stick that on the post with uh, the podcast. Thank you. And um, it brings me to ask the question about how do you view the status of Gaelic in Scottish culture at the moment? I mean, I think there's a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be optimistic about. I mean, I just recently did had that commission with Charles Krach, uh, where I was making some new songs with, with Ross White, and we performed them at the CCA there in Glasgow. And alongside us on the bill were this band called Blue, who are all young, fantastically talented musicians that came through Gaelic medium education in the city. Some of them have got Highland and Islands connections. Some of them haven't. And I mean, if ever there was a reason to be hopeful, it's that all of these amazing young people, you know, being trained up by Fashion and Gale and supported through the various, through the mod, the local mods as well. You know, the future is bright for these young people. And there are more opportunities now than there were say in 2003, when I started learning Gaelic at university, like it's come on leaps and bounds. Um, I, I was recently asked, well, I say recently, it's pre-lockdown, so it's not that recently, but I was asked to take part in a, a documentary about threatened languages, mm. um, con languages considered by UNESCO to be threatened. And it was me and Christine DeLuca and some other people and people from Cornwall and the, I, I was talking to Ailey Cormac actually from Sheehan about it because um, we filmed it in Anlochra. And, you know, the I, sometimes I think if you're part of the culture and you're embedded in the community and you're doing your work and busy, you kind of forget that it's a threatened language in a lot of ways. And so yeah. to actually have to go back and dig into that subject matter was quite a process for me because I speak Gaelic as much as I can and it's the primary language of a significant number of my personal relationships mm -hmm. um and so yeah I even though it is so heavily minoritized until we until somebody starts moaning on about about in the press or on Twitter I kind of forget that um you know that the situation is as parlous as it is really yeah, it's interesting. I, I sometimes feel that on a, on, a, on a level, because you're talking to people involved in Scottish culture or music or whatever it is, and then you meet someone who never really considers that there's Scottish writers or that there's Scottish musicians, you know, mm -hmm. happening today, apart from the big, big names, then, uh, yeah, you just think, well, of course you should know that. It's like the assumption that if you're talking to people who all understand what you're talking about, then there is no kind of problem. Yeah, I mean, I think within the music scene, for example, I think Gaelic's really strong. I think it's always yeah. been well supported, you know, by the likes of Hands Up for Trad and, and Simon Tumir and, and Celtic Connections and, and all of that. I think the issue actually for me is within the literary sector. I think the amount of events that go on in Scotland to do with Scottish literature and it's Scottish literature, you know, the brand that's being sold. And yeah, 
it's absolutely normal for these people to program events with writers of English only on the bill. You might get a bit of Scots if they want a bit of Hootsman and to really hammer home the Scottish identity, but they don't think twice about never including a Gaelic writer on the bill. Well, you know, it's interesting because when we did our Scottish books roundup of last year, you quite rightly said, well, how can you have a Scottish roundup of books? You haven't got a single Gaelic book on it. And yeah. I thought, oh, now, how we were doing it was just the books that myself and Vicky Riley had read. But yeah. you're absolutely right. I think it's absolutely fair. So you might have talked yourself into getting a, <laughs> a mention on the show and giving well, us your books because I think I think you're right. It's an important thing to consider. Yeah, and I mean, I think that you've actually touched on the other side of the coin, which is that a lot of times people within the arts and they want they would love to be inclusive of Gaelic, but they just don't know how. Mm -hmm. They don't know where to start. But actually, the message that I would like perhaps this is the most the more important message is that the Gaelic community is really generous and that what if you want to include Gaelic we will always help you and so you just let me know and I will be happy to tell you the the best books the best Gaelic books that I have read this year I've already made a note of that Marcus so expect <laughs> expect the call I think do you mind doing another reading before we uh we teach you yeah no worries at all that'd be great Let's have a look what we've got in this book. This is one that's quite interesting. I was at a conference in Lewis not long ago um, called Hands Across the Sea, and I was really fortunate myself and one of my collaborators, Alex Nicholl, were commissioned to make some film poetry, um, which will go on to be archived um, with the University of Western Brittany. Um, and it was about St Kilda and it was just interesting to see the French academics presenting St Kilda as this wasteland, uh, as this blank canvas to be explored by writers and this, that and the other, without once considering, of course, that St Kilda was evacuated <laughs> on the 29th of August 1930, which is a process not that far removed from clearance. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of staggered by that, I have to say. And so I wrote this poem um, in response to the photography of Robert Atkinson. He is, um, it was a, an Oxford graduate who went there looking for this rare bird. Um, we call it in Gaelic, the Galavrock. And uh, it was about his, it was inspired by his photographs. In Cleave, S.J. Robert Atkinson. Han Cleave na waya hast faranjach aga, fuer falav maganjach a hermed jagach jias yarna. Doris a frisch a luishkirk san jan ria, and he fet faranopach na kudde nach gold eran flowery. An entire valley had glanya and tilly nealoch, or smaller jedinach. And corn and Arabic, Arlem a hasha a hooked bakeshing, and Tronka hole a dude nahashik, snack jack a horse le hurstach, rag and falk a rearclan lucha. The creel lies still where it was left, as if freshly emptied of every blade of barley, 
The press door swings in the draft that whistles where once a pan was kept, or a kettle never to boil again on the pothook. In the factor's house, the Tilly's glass is nebulous from its final snuff, the rest in disarray. I wonder at the haste of the abandon, the trunk hearing the ferry blast surrendered by a St Kildan, like the wallpaper to murine teeth. Thank you very much for that. That was fantastic. Marcus, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do so. No, thank you for having me. And I'll look forward to the uh, best, uh, best Scottish books this year. Absolutely. Yes, I'm looking forward to that as well. And we will be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm -hmm.